Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? <clears throat> well, we've got the uh, first game of Cleveland and the White Sox winding down here. We got two outs in the ninth with Emmanuel Classe on the mound and A.J. Pollock at the dish. We'll see what happens here. But uh, this is White Sox Daily Live. We got a fun bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, fun. Yeah, lots of fun. <laughs> this uh, this game being one of them. Uh, the upcoming couple of games and some uh, rumors flying around about uh, team cohesion and uh, not good. Um, so my name is Ian Eskridge. I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Uh, well, outside of watching some less than satisfactory baseball from this White Sox team here. Uh, I'm doing pretty well, you know, uh, man, this disappointments, the hits keep coming with this team. You know, you talked about rumors flying around. We'll get into that a little, uh, yeah, it's, it's become a difficult, uh, more and more difficult to watch. And, uh, you know, my, my confidence in a return to form, is waning by the day but uh yeah you know other than that i'm doing pretty well i uh, spent the weekend out on a camping and kayak trip which was uh well needed got some rest uh ate a right crispy treat that made me feel a little funny hmm. wasn't expecting that yeah okay. i don't know Somebody yeah in there huh yeah well apparently everybody else knew but me i missed the memo uh wah, you know <laughs> uh you know and then uh I don't know. You know, we were on a river that was moving pretty good for about six, seven hours. And this morning I, I woke up with extreme back pain. I'm thinking uh, I got a sciatic thing going on. Took the day off. Made it through the kayak weekend and, you know, came home thinking everything was dandy. And, uh, yeah, having a little struggles today. But other than that, man, how you doing? Doing all right. You know, I uh, had a decent weekend. Went... Uh... My uh, in-laws had their 50th anniversary on Friday, so we all went out to dinner and had a nice time. And uh, Saturday, I had a show, and then Sunday, um, my parents are in from North Carolina, so got to hang out with them for a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the White Sox game is final now. White Sox lose to the Guardians. And, uh, you know, it, we, we've talked about this, uh, quite a bit that, you know, we get the, a couple of wins and we kind of get reeled in a little bit, um, you know, scar faced a little bit, you know, once I think I'm out. They pull, pull me, back, me in, back in, you know, and uh, keeps on happening. You know, we should know better by this point. I mean, we've seen how this team has been for this entire season so far, and it's been really inconsistent. I mean, super inconsistent baseball. Um, today, I actually thought that for the most part, 
Um, other than the pitching of uh, Lance Lynn, uh, the uh, the rest of the team I thought actually played a pretty pretty good game today. Um, you know, you know, you, you score four runs, not not the best, but um, at least there was uh, pretty competent defense. There wasn't any really really stupid glaring mistakes. Um, well, you know, for the first time in days, we didn't see a ridiculous base running error. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's that. Uh, I have to agree, though. I mean, for the most part, uh, guys were, you know, in the right places, doing the right things. There were some, uh, you know, there was one silly little error in the first inning. Uh, you know, no big deal. Um but there were a lot. There were a handful of plays that I thought were were pretty good. Uh, plays that weren't necessarily easy plays to make that you know may have prevented more runs from going on the board. So, you know, there's that. Uh, guys at the plate looked like they were getting some fairly decent swings. Uh, although, you know, at the same time, some of these guys are still being fooled by that you know down and away mm-hmm. slider, and I think that's just a. It's, it just seems to be a team culture thing here with the White Sox this season. You know, uh, I don't know what Frank Menachino is doing over there, but, uh, you know, he's got to get these guys to lay off that pitch, and they just can't seem to do it. But, yeah, yeah, for the most part, it wasn't a terrible game. It's just tough to watch these guys get beat by teams that really aren't that great. And now we're in that stretch where, you know, let me, let me put it like this. You know, if you were to at the beginning of the season, I would have tell you that the White Sox were hovering around 500 and were in third place in the division, but they were only a couple of games out. And I told you to pick a spot in the schedule for you to tell me this is it. I would probably think that without having hindsight as we are right now that you would have had the foresight to say this is it because we have a 19 game stretch of central division games and you would say this is where the Sox really need to you know if you really want to prove that you can be a contender you have to first beat the teams in your division to win a division and uh, here we are and you know we're well through this stretch now in the central and it's not looking great they are not beating the teams that they are supposed to beat. And uh, this is why I say my confidence is waning every day. What's up, Mike Dub Dylan? How you doing? Thanks uh, thanks for jumping in. Welcome. Um, yeah, no, I, it, you know, there's nothing to inspire confidence at this point. You know, like I said, we've seen this thing all season long where it's, you know, Good for a game or two, and then they're bad for a couple of games. And there, there's no consistency whatsoever. And, uh, you know, the you bring up the team culture, and, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, you know, I mean. <laughs> I wasn't sure when we would get into this, but I, I knew I, it was coming. Why wait? Um so uh, Bob Nightingale puts out an article yesterday in USA Today uh, 
saying that there are rumors slash chatter going around MLB that the White Sox players are saying that there is not enough veteran leadership on the team. Um, yeah, he spoke about clicks yeah, in the clubhouse. Clicks in the clicks in the uh, clubhouse, and um, you know, I heard uh, earlier today on Mully and Haw. Uh, actually, uh, Mully and um, I'm trying to think of who the other guy was that uh, oh, Mark Grody, uh, Mully and Grody were on, and Steve Stone popped on this morning and said, you know, I tried calling Bob Nightingale to find out what this is all about, and he didn't call me back. And then you see a tweet later today that says that Kenny Williams held a meeting basically telling everybody that everybody is in, you know, is is to blame and that nobody's without blame. Um, and, you know, you, you could uh, leave Dylan Cease out of that, I suppose, um, for the most part. Um, but, you know, there's there's probably like a, a handful of guys that you could say were the least amount of, you know, something to do with what's been going on there. But, right. you know, it's just, uh, it's something that we had talked about numerous times beforehand uh, about our fear that, you know, that Tony LaRusso wasn't going to be able to deal with, you know, a younger generation and get this team to gel and not much has changed as far as the team build goes in the last year, uh, since last year when everybody was saying everything was fine. However, uh, you know, as I've heard pointed out in a couple of other places that they got spanked in the playoffs and everybody saw what happened in that series against the Astros last year and everybody saw that Tony got outmanaged and uh and then the front office goes and basically does not a whole lot in the uh in the offseason to take care of that uh let's see what old Mike Dillon has to say he says uh with Pujols participating in the home run derby it brings up some interesting conversations and I want to ask you guys if you were to make an all-time Sox home run derby who would you want to see in it that's a fun question. An all-time Sox home. I'd hmm. say the first few have got to be fairly easy. I mean, you, you know, Big Frank has got to be the number one seed with more home runs than any any other player in a White Sox uniform. So, since I took the easy one out of the way, why don't you go ahead what back and forth with this? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, you know, I would have to say we that can- you'd have to have Paul Canerco in there. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Dick Allen is probably one of those guys that going to be right up top of the list all time. Uh, we can even see what uh, Mike Dub wants to add in there, but uh, I think so far the top three are feeling pretty good to me. Who would be the how next would one you, for you? Uh, how would you feel about Jim Tomey being in that home run derby in an all socks home run derby? I mean, he was only there for a few years, so does he count? Absolutely, he counts. Because okay. uh, he had some pretty big seasons while he was here, and uh, 
you know, there were a lot of people that were wondering if he was going to have anything left in the tank when he came here, and he did for a little while. So, yeah, I would definitely throw him in. You know, one guy that I think that probably, you know, didn't turn out to be anything in the majors at all, but Joe Borchard for a home run hitting contest, that might be fun to add in as well. Yeah, I don't think I would be mad about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, he hit one to the concourse, so uh, I think that that would be one worth worth tossing in there. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the bull, Greg the Bull Luzinski, would have to be in there with his uh, yeah. roof shots at the old Comiskey Park. Yeah, I agree with that. That that'd be a that'd be a fun one. Uh, Jermaine, he's uh, mic'd up. Dylan says uh, Jermaine die, and I think that that would be a fun one as well. I mean, yep. granted, you know, never put up you know those serious like uh, fifty home run seasons, but you could get into one. I think Maglio would be another fun one to add in as well. Uh, Carlos Lee, Carlos Lee for sure. Hey, you know, if we're to, we're going to talk about the Carloses, you know. Uh, sticks out in my mind that could hit some monsters too if he could keep his back together was uh, Carlos Quentin, but uh, unfortunately he had a, he got himself a janky janky back and uh, couldn't and keep hand. it together. And hand, right? Correct. Yeah, that was. I uh, talk about a, a ruined season right there with uh, just the smallest of uh, you know little little temper tantrum, and uh, there goes the. There goes a season where it's looking like he's on pace for MVP numbers, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, would you uh, would you put Kittle in that conversation? Yeah, for, that would be. Uh, yeah, and I I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you know, uh, I, I don't know what we're up to as far as numbers of guys. I mean, I'd say you probably do like a twelve person tournament, maybe, and then uh, you know, best of. Best round, uh, you know, moves on, you know, uh, NCAA tournament kind. Yeah, single elimination all the way down. Got a, <laughs> uh, a mention of AJ Perzinski. Could be fun with the personality. I think that uh, if they were mic'd up, AJ Perzinski would definitely be one. Uh, yeah, on. that would be that would <laughs> be a fun sure. one. AJ Perzinski after the uh, the orange contacts. He just, I don't know, something about those uh, contacts did something with his his uh, night vision, I guess you would say. His his game, his vision during night games. Uh, man, he really, once he got those contacts, it seemed like uh, he really turned it on. Um, so moving back to uh, the clubhouse tweet. Yes. I've heard it debated uh, from both sides. That it is a Jerry-sponsored uh, message, as it's a Bob Nightingale thing, which would make sense because him and him and Bob are good buddies. Um, oh, Bob's got the old bat phone right yeah. to uh, Jerry's desk, you know. So the question is: Is this a pro Tony Larusa? It's not his fault story, or is this a Tony Larusa? You're on borrowed time here. If things keep on going the way they're going, 
type story. What, what's your opinion on that? Uh, you know what? For once, I am actually going to agree with the majority of people on the socials on this one. Because if you have been paying attention to any of the socials at all since this thing came out, uh, most people seem to think that this is a uh, an opportunity for uh, Mr. Reinsdorf to kind of spin things on to the players and, you know, less on Tony La Russa. Uh, and it, ha- it does kind of have that feel. You know, I'm not going to lie. I hate to do the whole conspiracy theory thing, but there's a feeling of how this came out and when it came out that, uh, you know, there's been talk of a little bit of a drop in attendance and, you know, fans are really starting to, you know, really getting vocal. Even some of the longtime Tony LaRusso stands are starting to turn on him. And as that's happening, all of a sudden this thing comes out where, you know, we hear Tony LaRusso on interviews and he's saying he's dancing. I don't know what you're talking about. I was just dancing in the, in the clubhouse with the guys. Everything's fine. Everything's hunky dory. And then this comes out. It just seems a little, uh, Oh, I don't know. It's a feeling of a conspiracy, you know, where they are trying to spin it away from Tony and more on the players. Um, I would, I would rather it be the other as it, you know, it's time for uh, Tony to get his stuff together or be sent packing. But I don't see this White Sox team doing that. They've never really been one to fire a manager midseason before. And I, there's nothing that really tells me that that's, there's a chance of that happening. Now, I will hope I'm wrong, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, we've been praying for that one for a while. Um, I don't know, man. Like, the way I – like, the way – when I first heard it, the, the thing that I thought of was when, he, when, when it's mentioned about clicks in the locker room – and um, lack of leadership. The first, and it does say lack of player uh, leadership, veteran player leadership. Now that could be interpreted. Now that I think about that, uh, I originally thought when I the first time that I read it this morning, um, thought that it said veteran leadership, and I, I was thinking, well. Tony's part of that veteran leadership, but it does say player leadership. Um, I think it's it's Tony's job to manage the locker room. That's what his job is with a professional baseball team because he's not. Uh, this is this is not a travel, you know, high school team where you're manager is is essentially like the head coach and he's teaching these guys fundamentals these guys are supposed to be professionals and one of the biggest things about uh being a manager of a baseball club and one of the things that was one of the biggest concerns about tony lurso like most of the people weren't even worried too much about his uh, you know his managerial chops so much as they were worried about how he was going to deal with the personalities of the players and keeping everybody in the locker room happy. And that's clearly not happening. And 
if there's a click, I mean, there's going to be clicks. You know, when you've got, uh, you know, a bunch of guys from Cuba, they're most going to be most comfortable talking to each other. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. There's going to be like little subgroups in there, but that, I, I don't think that that necessarily means that that they're not going, that they don't get along with everybody else. Um, right. But then again, you know, we're not in the locker room, so I, I'm not 100% sure that I could necessarily speak to the reality of all that or not. But I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation, and it's kind of one of those things that we feared was on its way when the hire was initially made. So, yeah. And you know, it, it's kind of crazy. And we've talked about this before on this show, you know, you go back to the first few months of a season where, you know, Tony LaRusa is named manager and uh, this team gets off, you know, they, they might've had a little bit of a rough, like week and a half, you know, and they rolled for a few months right up until about mid-season and then completely fell apart. And, you know, we've talked about what kind of impact maybe, you know, the Yermin Mercedes situation had. Uh, you know, we we can talk about the, the injuries. Uh, you know, how long was the next man up going to be a sustainable thing where these guys were performing at the level they were uh, and almost just as good as the players that they were replacing at in certain times during their first half of the season. But, you know, it, in my mind, if you kind of go back and start to look at the way this thing happens, is this was a team that was on a roll before that season, you know. And Ricky Renteria, you know, we obviously know what happened in that 2020 playoffs during the shortened season. It didn't look good. But it was a team that looked like it was having fun. They seem to be gelling really well, you know, regardless of, you know, that playoff outcome against the A's in 2020. But you kind of almost can see the energy of this team change since Tony took over the team. And, you know, we can talk about all those other things, but in reality, I believe that it started the day he was brought in. You know, there's just this kind of trend. It was a downward kind of trend, and once it hit rock bottom, it has not really found a way to fix itself. Yeah, sure, there was a couple of, you know, weeks at the end of last season where things kind of seemed to click again for a little bit. But, you know, all in all, it's really just been a a lackluster. This team doesn't look like it's having fun. The attitude in the dugout that is visible to us as viewers when we watch the broadcast is not the same. This isn't the team that's dancing around. You know, we don't see them passing around home run chains. But I guess then again, you know, uh, they're really not hitting many home runs. So they are not. There's that. But you know, it, it's just there's a there's a level of energy that just seems to be this team did have. Or the, you know, this is pretty much the same core of players that's been around when things started to kind of make that upward turn. And now we're on a downward spiral. And, you know, it, it just doesn't look the same to me. Yeah, I did uh, hear. Speaking on the uh, the home run thing, I did hear something from Gavin Sheets in an interview that uh, he was kind of looking for 
outside pitches and looking to go the other way with things and hitting singles and basically like what he needed to get back to was being aggressive and trying to hit the baseball hard instead of trying to fight off pitches. And that was like kind of one of the things that he got back to when he went down to Charlotte was being aggressive and trying to hit the ball hard and kind of, you know, I, there was a fire Frank Menachino, you know, movement on Twitter, like two weeks into the season. At least it feels like that. Um, and I was of the opinion that, you know, we've seen what happens when hitting coaches get fired, you know, first thing. And it's usually uh, one of those things where some guy has to, you know, fall on his sword to uh, take one for the team and, you know, move along. And um, that's kind of how I felt that the Frank Minichino thing was. With last year, you know, their their team OPS was, you know, one of the tops in the league. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, you go from, uh, I think it was like 4th to 18th or something. And how does that happen? And... You know, hearing this from Gavin Sheets coming back from Charlotte, and you know, basically, like as soon as he went back down to Charlotte, he had one game I think where he struck out a couple of times, and then after working with uh, CJ down in in Charlotte, like he just immediately starts hammering the ball again, you know, hitting gap doubles and hitting home runs again, and then he's back up a week later. And it's like, hey, my my swing's fixed. Okay, well, what'd you do? Oh, well, I started being aggressive again and stopped, you know, using the philosophy that they're using up here. That kind of is a red flag, (laughs) you know, Uh, for the the whole rest of the team, seeing how the rest of the team is just, you know, completely cratered as far as their, you know, OPS goes. And, you know, they're next to, I think they're, what, 24th or 25th in the league in OPS for ages um yeah it just seems like you know there's something there there is something you know i understand that the whole uh you know immediate rush to try and fire greg walker is you know kind of silly and we've seen that one before but at this point does it seem to you that i mean i don't know how you could think any different at this point it seems to me that you know, maybe his philosophy is is not working the way that he's trying to make it work. Well, I mean, you know, I saw something. This is going back a week. So I don't, uh, I don't remember where I saw it, but I do remember seeing a graphic somewhere that showed uh, what Frank Menachino has done before coming to the White Sox, and it was much of the same. Where you know, his first year as a hitting coach looks like guys either improved or stayed right in about the same area they were for. And then they seem to fall off. And, you know, you looked at this and this was over, you know, I don't know how many, but it was over his career it, you know, with other organizations. And then he came to the White Sox and pretty much the same thing happened here. And you got to wonder yourself, how did they expect anything less to happen when there was uh, a sample to choose from? There was a sample to go back and look at and say, hey, you know what? This is this guy's track record, and 
you know, uh, we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. You know, I don't know if that's really the problem. Again, I'm not an, an insider. Uh, you know, I'm not in the clubhouse. But at the same time, we've heard, you know, multiple rumors about guys having their swings changed. You know, guys that had been doing things for basically their entire professional career from the day they were drafted all the way until the day they were brought up to the major league club. And things had worked for them that entire time until they get to the major league club. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. And I know the argument is out there that, well, now you're facing major league pitching. But usually when you see that kind of growth and the growth is kind of on that same linear path upwards, when you're moving from level to level throughout the system, you don't usually see guys fall flat on their face. A lot of these guys kind of done that with, you know, under the tutelage of Frank. So I don't know. I don't want to say I'm going to blame him for sure, but there's, there's a trend that's kind of ugly and it seems to point at Frank. And you got to wonder, like, why are you messing with these guys? If they've been doing what they've been doing, why are we changing things all of a sudden? Does it just not work anymore? What you, you, what you've been doing your entire life to get here to this place, to get to a place where less than 1% of 1% make it, Every little boy's dream is to, you know, stand up in the bottom of the ninth of the World Series with two on and two out to win the game. You know what I mean? And less than 1% of 1% of people that try to do that in their lives get to that point. And now we're going to change what you've been doing to get to this place. Seems kind of, mm, I don't know. It seems yeah. like a really strange philosophy. Um, you know, I, I think that the the thing is, you know, like with somebody like a, a Zach Collins where he complained about the same thing, you know, that he comes to the White Sox and they immediately <coughs> try to fix his swing and he doesn't want it fixed. Um, but, the you know, there's, of course, the you know whole thing. He goes to Toronto and they tell him to basically do what he's what he's comfortable doing. And he goes back to doing that and he goes on a little hot streak. But the thing is, then the, the pitchers figured out that he does have an arm bar on his swing and they just started throwing him high fastballs and striking him out, you know, which was uh, one of the things that was his weakness. And, um, you know, I think that there's something to be said for that, that, uh, that Frank with his, uh, you know, contact approach is good to a, to a point, you know, I think that it's a, a very situational thing. And being in that headspace all the time is taking away from the aggressiveness of the hitters. And I think that right. that's well, what, I mean, what you, the issue we're you seeing. You have to – I'm sorry. My apologies. Uh, but, you know, you have to put the bat on the ball to be able to put the ball into play. I get that. But, you know, I mean, in the, I saw something, again, on the socials creeping – and somebody was saying, well, you know, you remember the last couple of years when the White Sox were hitting all these home runs and everybody wanted them to hit and get on base more often. And he said, yeah, sure, that's fine. Well, now everybody wants them to hit home more home runs. Well, yeah, you know, there's a thing. We, You and I talked about this. You made a really great point on last week's show when you said, you know, you have to, okay, sure, hitting singles is great. Getting guys on base is great, but you need somebody to bring them around. And how often are you going to be able to string four or five singles together to score runs throughout an entire game where you're, you know, scoring five, six, seven runs in a game and winning baseball games? 
you know, you're talking about getting going out and getting 20 to 22, 23 singles in a game, and there isn't really a team out there that's going to do that day in and day out. Nope. You got to be able to hit with some power. You got to hit some extra base hits. You got to hit the gaps. You got to put the ball out of the park. And this was a lineup that was built to do that. And unfortunately, we're just not seeing that. Yeah, it seems like there's a definite um, kind of, I don't know whether it's a uh, communication issue or whatever with the front office, just that, uh, you know, the, the players that are being given and what is trying, you know, how they're being molded into uh, major league players. It just doesn't seem like the two kind of are meshing together because Luis Roberts supposed to be, you know, a, a dynamic home run hitter, you know, five tool guy hit for average as well. But, you know, you lose some of that when he's sitting here chasing sliders all over the place and, you know, trying to worry about pitches over the outside corner of the plate and the inside corner of the plate, but he can't hit a fastball right, right down the middle anymore, you know, because he's looking for pitches outside or whatever, you know? Right. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird <coughs> one. Me. We'll see if, uh, Frank Menachino ends up on his way out. I would not be surprised in the least bit. No, uh, you know, to be honest, with you, just looking at some of the things that have happened over the course of the last year and a half, uh, I would personally like a complete overhaul of the coaching staff. Uh, you know, maybe aside from our uh, our pitching coach, I would like to give him a little bit more of a chance to get comfortable with the staff. Uh, you know, he's done some good things. Some would argue that, you know, maybe he hasn't done everything that he's been brought here to do, which, you know, I can't really disagree with that. You know, we've seen uh, Luke go through his struggles. Uh, We've hoped for more out of uh, DK, which apparently was uncoachable anyway. But, you know, uh, when you look at guys like Joe McEwing, who is just, you know, waving and waving and waving around and the amount of guys that have been thrown out of home plate this year. You look at some of the you know the defensive gaps, and you've got you know you got your bench coaches and your infield coaches and guys like Debo, you know out there that are supposed to be uh, making sure that these guys are mentally prepared, they're in the right position, and they're ready to play their position. And uh, you know defensively, this team has not been exceptional by any means. Oh, so yeah, and then you know we all know with the TLR thing, you know. So I would really like to see a complete overhaul uh, of this coaching staff with, like I said, the exception of our pitching coach. And even, I don't think he's uh, infallible. No, I mean, you know, he did, uh, did do that work with Lucas Giolito and uh, Dylan Cease and uh, Carlos Rodon, which is awesome. Um, However, uh, you know, if we get some manager coming in and he feels strongly about somebody else, well, guess what? I'm perfectly fine with it. You know, I, I do like uh, Ethan Katz and would like him to stick around. And I think that there is a definite value to the, the things that he brings to the table. However, if, you know, if the manager that comes in has his guy, you know, I mean, we knew that uh, Dave Duncan was TLR's guy, but Dave Duncan said, I'm retired, nope. man. Go away. Yeah. I'm um, that's the only way that Ethan Katz got here in the first <coughs> place. So. You know, and that decision by Dave Duncan to me it makes him 
than I already thought he had been. <laughs> I mean, he's really done a lot as a pitching coach in his career. And, uh, you know, I, I made more respect to him now for uh, waving that flag when he was given the opportunity. Well, I mean, let's also look at the way that the pitching staff has been handled by Tony LaRusso. The first time without having Dave Duncan by his side is we've seen numerous yeah, mistakes, go- you know? The guru is no longer the guru. So how much of that was TLR and how much of it was Dave Duncan in those years? Yeah. Um, speaking of pitchers, um, Dylan Cease doesn't make the all-star team. Uh, despite looking at his stats and seeing that he is pretty much head and shoulders above everybody that did get in, uh, other than, you know, a couple of guys here and there, um, it's pretty sad stuff. He was like fourth best war of all starting pitchers in the American league. You know, that's, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big snub when you're talking about the amount of pitchers that get carried for an all-star game. And the thing is, is he wouldn't have pitched anyway. There were a lot of Sox fans out there that are like, oh, we don't need him to pitch. Let him get some rest. Well, guess what? With the way the rotation was lining up, he wouldn't have been allowed to pitch anyway because he was going to get the start on Sunday after the game. So, uh, you know, it's a shame that he doesn't get voted in. He could have went out there and you know, enjoyed the festivities without having to worry about pitching and still would have gotten the rest. But, uh, you know, now being that he wasn't even selected, there's no chance that he's going to be selected as alternate knowing that he's not going to have the opportunity to throw anyway. Yeah. That was kind of my whole, my whole thinking on the thing is that, you know, if he's going to be off uh, if he's pitching on Sunday he's not going to be able to go and do the all-star thing anyway um but he should still be recognized is is my feeling on it you know is that regardless of whether he's going to pitch or not his numbers are so good and for him to not be you know recognized for putting up those numbers it's that's not right um I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, Carlos Rodon spoke on the matter, and uh, he was pretty unhappy that uh, Cease did not get uh, the all-star nod. And uh, I don't also don't know if you saw that Ashley Rodon was not happy that Carlos didn't make I, it onto the uh, – I did see team. that tweet. I am a follower of uh, Ashley, and I saw that tweet firsthand when it came out. And I can't say that I blame her. Yeah. Uh, the guy's been head and shoulders – all season. I mean, he had a couple of, he had like two games back to back where people started to wonder, uh-oh, is it? See, you I know, told you his arm was going to fall off. Yeah. And then after those two starts, he went right back to dominating. And, uh, you know, yeah, I saw a tweet yesterday that said, uh, you know, there have only been six pitchers in the history. Or no, I'm sorry. Only, yeah, only six pitchers in the history of the entire San Francisco organization to throw a pitch after the seventh inning that was like 98 miles an hour or something. And Carlos Rodon was the first pitcher to end the game in the ninth inning for a complete game with a 98-plus-mile-an-hour fastball, and he actually hit 99.1. 
to yeah. uh, strike out the last batter of the game. So, yeah, uh, I don't think his arm is falling off at the moment. <laughs> Shocker. And uh, as has been pointed out elsewhere, um, you know. Uh, what? You know, that's I, I uh, I... one of those things that, um, you know, I the the thing that I saw was people were like, oh, well, you know, uh, people want to see Clayton Kershaw make that start, you know, and it would be f- much far more fun nationally to see Clayton Kershaw do it. Um, you know, nobody cares about uh, Carlos Rodon except for Giants fans. And I was like, well, White Sox fans. <laughs> so uh, there's that. Um, We've been uh, checking up on him. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been trust trust me. We've been watching him over here, uh, kind of pining as white for yeah, as white Sox fans do. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, it's like we're you know, I I know that uh, Kopech last night he uh, you know he he struggled in the first inning and he did right the ship and he managed to uh, you know to have a fairly decent outing when when it you know final numbers came up and everything. Um, I'm kind of worried about him with his velocity kind of trending downward. And I, I, I saw on the socials earlier today, you know, somebody saying something about dead arm this, dead arm that. And my my worry here is that, you know, with that knee injury, and we know that there's you know, fluid in there and that they had to drain and that it was going to be a thing pretty much all season is more or less what he said. Um, so how much of the loss in velocity since the, you know, that it coincides with his injury, you know, him losing like three miles an hour or whatever on his fastball. Um, you know, I, I'm, I am worried about the staff. I mean, because you saw it tonight, Lance Lynn, uh, again, five runs in the first inning and, you know, gives up a couple more later. And, uh, you know, and this is the same thing that happened last time uh, where he was cruising along and then he got to about 90 pitches or so. And then he started getting hit again after a rough, you know, like a pseudo rocky start, if I remember correctly. Um, it's happened a couple of times where just right off the bat, he's not as crisp as he would, uh, you know, like to be, and it's caused issues. And uh, I know that he is the guy uh, in the rotation that's supposed to be the, uh, you know, the Grizz, you know, the the big tough guy, and he's supposed to go out there and eat innings and whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like... We've seen this numerous times. Meanwhile, Johnny Cueto gets signed on a you know minor league deal on a well. I mean, it was a major league deal with a thing you know <laughs> where you know if he wasn't on the major league roster by a certain time, he would have to be released, which is you know nice. But he ends up coming up, and the guy's leading the White Sox in quality starts. First pitcher to get an out in the eighth inning. This season, 
For, yeah, first starting pitcher. And the guy didn't start pitching until, I think, May 14th. So he was a month and a half uh, late into the season. He's leading in quality starts, and he's the first pitcher to get an out in the eighth inning. And he's hit six, uh, I think he's hit six innings pitched in nine out of, or was it 10 out of 11 starts or nine out of 10 starts? You know, I mean, what are, what are we doing here? You know, it's kind of funny you say that because nobody really thought the whole Kudo signing was, uh, was going to be anything spectacular. And yet, outside of Dylan Cease, he's been the most consistent pitcher on the staff. You know, and you were just talking about Lance Lynn being the you know the the quote unquote workhorse of the staff. You know, he's been that guy pretty much his whole career. The guy that's going to go out and just work to death. You know, and he's going to go out there and he's going to get all these throw all these pitches. The problem is this year. Anytime that he pitches, he seems to get up to that 90-100 pitch mark in the fourth and fifth inning. He's, you know, he's he's walking a lot of guys. His whip isn't great. Uh, he just doesn't seem to be the same pitcher. You know, I don't know. Maybe the league's got a you know better scouting report on him. I, I honestly don't know what it is. And you know, let me ask you this: Does his velocity seem down to you? Without the numbers, I feel like he's down a little bit. Is Who's he another that? one? Lance, Lance Lynn. Lynn. Yeah, I think that he is down, but he did hit ninety four um, today. Yeah, uh, like uh, I'm used to. Strike. Yeah, I'm used to seeing him at like ninety four, ninety five, uh, with up to ninety six usually, um, and he has not been doing that. Up no, he's hovering now. around ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's probably you know we know that he didn't have much of a spring training and then he was out. Right. So it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be a work in progress where he's going to have to build up his, you know, his stamina and whatever. What's that Tony? What's that? What's that Tony? What'd you say, Tony? Hey, he is a veteran and he has earned, he has earned those innings. Uh, he is, uh, you know, I, I felt good about, uh, what he was doing out there and I trusted him to get those outs. Um, Work in progress. Yeah, work in progress. <laughs> um, yeah, so oh. I don't know. Just uh, he, I, I'm worried about where it's going and where it's going to end up. Um, I'm hoping that the you know that Lance Lynn is going to uh, rebound, but you know, then again, this is one of the risks that they took when they signed a 34, 35 year old pitcher. You know, over Carlos Rodon and let Rodon walk, uh, who was, you know, um, he had his uh, Tommy John, and it took him a while to get, you know, over the uh, the Tommy John <laughs> thing, you know, over the dead arm from the Tommy John. And so yeah, now that he and, is, you know, he's firing. That's the thing. You know, so many people talk about, ah, oh, well, he was, an in- he was an injury risk. You're looking at, I, you and I have talked about this you know, amongst ourselves, and we've probably talked about it a few times on the show too, but you look at what had happened to this guy in his career and what the White Sox did to put off uh, the proper handling of some of those injuries, and then he finally does go and get everything taken care of the way it's supposed to be taken care of. And you look at the progression of – 
where he was when he came back from those injuries after having done things the right way. And you say, this guy looks like the guy they drafted, the guy that they hoped could be an ace. And yes, you know, okay, so he fell off in the second half of the season. Well, it was to be expected. He hadn't pitched in, you know, however long. He hadn't had a time to stretch out. He hadn't had a time to build up his arm strength. To me, I think it was less of an injury risk to sign him again than people are trying to say. There was something that spoke to me about the way he was throwing the ball. And, yeah, he went through that dead arm struggle. And then he came back in the, you know, the last game of the playoffs. And he, he looked like he was gunning that fight, or the first inning anyway. And then, you know, the arm kind of fell off again next inning. And, you know, we all know the outcome. The Sox end up losing. But there was something that said this guy is he's good. He's going to be good to go. The injuries are finally behind him. And here we are. I, you know, we can talk about qualifying offers. We can talk about the 20 or $22 million a year that the Giants offered him. To me, plain and simple, it comes down to if he was only going to take a two-year deal, that would have been perfect for the White Sox. You're not overextending yourself, not signing them five or six years. The White Sox don't like to deal with starting pitching anyway. And, uh, you know, you got a guy who is a potential Cy Young winner. And they let him walk. And what did we get? We got two bullpen guys, and we got Leary Garcia for three more years. We got, you know, just some whole plugs for some uh, positional players. Could have used all that money. We could have had a great staff. You know, we got guys in the minor leagues. If you were just going to use randos to fill holes in the lineup, we could have pulled any schmo. <laughs> the miners do that instead they spent their money in ways that still to this day baffles me well i mean we can talk i mean the the issue being is that you know you spent a bunch of money on a reliever with uh bicep tendon or elbow tendonitis or shoulder tendonitis or whatever the heck it was for uh joe kelly I'm blanking on it right now it's one of those uh, nerve so. nerve issue or whatever, and you know, and then you you know sign Josh Harrison, and you let him walk, you know you let Rodon walk because of an injury risk, but you know you signed Lance Lynn who's had that same Tommy John surgery, you kept you know Michael Kopex here he's had the Tommy John surgery, uh, you know, cease I mean it's like it, Giolito like. What are we? What are we right. talking about here? You know, I mean, everybody knew that that was that that's part of a normal Tommy John rehab is that you're going to have a dead arm period, you know, and you're only you're going to hit a brick wall at some point in your first season, you know, back from Tommy John, and that's exactly what happened. And people acted shocked, and you know, because of his previous, you know, thing. Yeah, his history. With yeah, his- it's. It's it's bursitis in his shoulder and all that other stuff. Um, so uh, Tim Anderson does make the All Star game. Is the starting shortstop for uh, the American League. So, did you happen to see the video of Ta? You know when they announced that he was the starting shortstop. 
I did indeed about that. And that's that. Well, that's going to take me right back to the uh, the Bob Nightingale uh, stuff we were talking about earlier. Uh, the tweets and the articles that we've seen come out over the last day and a half or so with uh, dissension in the clubhouse and, uh, you know, clicks and all this other stuff. And, yeah, that video was well, – it's it's pretty damning, if you ask me. Now, I've seen points to be made that last year's video, uh, the announcement was made after a game, after a win – you know, and the team was already on a high because they had a game in the clubhouse. And this next one, you know, this year, you know, the team wasn't as excited because, you know, they, they're not winning. And, you know, it was before a game going out. You know, you can say all these things, but honestly, I mean, I don't care if it's before a game or after a game. To celebrate. Subdued. Yeah, to celebrate the way they did, where guys are jumping around the house. Jose Abreu is, like, picking Tim up and swinging him around. and Everybody's clapping and screaming and cheering and yelling or smiling. This year, we barely get a golf clap out of the guys in the locker room. Tim Anderson is slouching in his chair, and he just looks completely unfathomed by the whole thing. You know, not even a smile out of him. Yep. Now, I get that he's got some things going on outside of baseball in his life with these rumors, of, you know, of uh, baby mamas and all these other things that we were not going to get into here in the show. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, that's you know, I don't want to get into. But yeah, no, I, that, that's been one of my concerns as well is how much of that is bleeding over into his play. You know, that's, it's certainly worthy. Uh, it's, it's certainly a worthy question of asking, you know, I don't well, think it's I mean, his out of line to going. ask if that is, if that is partially one of the things that's causing like, uh, you know, like his slump since he came back from the, from the IL a little while ago. And, you know, he started to ramp it back up here a little bit over the last couple of days. I don't know whether it has anything to do with that, but it's, certainly something worth mentioning or thinking about i would think you know yeah i mean like you said i don't want to get into that whole conversation about you know what is actually going on none of us really know to be honest with you we all what's been leaked and you know we'll leave it at that uh that's his personal business i'm sure he's got a lot on his plate to figure this thing out but you know aside from that there's still something to be said about the rest of the guys in locker is is his energy from that situation knocking everybody else now because nobody seemed nobody seemed all that thrilled to see Tim Anderson make it especially when it came down to the wire you know the last it was the eleventh hour of voting and you've got all of Canada voting for Bichette and Chicago beats an entire country well, voters come out and they get this guy in as a starter. Basically, uh, you would think that off. maybe there would have been, well, you know, you would think there would have been a bit more of excitement is all I'm saying. You know, he took, he overtook Bo Bichette in, in the last few minutes of voting and, you know, it, it, it just seems, I, again, I don't want to say that that is a hundred percent why things are happening the way they are, but it just seems that way. there's just no energy. Yeah, 
I mean, whether you're talking about the the whole team whatsoever, or you know, like the whole team encompassing uh, of the whole team, or whether you're talking about uh, TA in general, uh, I think that you know, I definitely noticed that uh, you know it seemed to be a different situation. Um, I didn't know the specifics about when you know when one video was from and when the other one was from, but I could tell that there was definitely a difference in situation. I just kind of felt like the amount of applause seemed very, uh, you know, half-hearted. Like there wasn't really like a whole lot of, and I, and I know that these guys are, you know, these guys have got to be unhappy in general you know and i did hear steve stone say this morning that you know i if you've got a good club your chemistry is great if you don't have a good club you know your chemistry could you know it's probably going to be bad you know or at least looked at that way um you know from the outside and that that i get uh it just i don't know to me it seemed like it was a little bit uh just a little too chill for my liking um, yeah, it was extremely subdued, extremely subdued in that locker room. Uh, you know, seeing both videos in those tweets and, you know, seeing the speculation from the uh, original posters, it, you know, I can't say that I disagree with that speculation that there's something wrong in the clubhouse. And now we've got, you know, Bob Nightingale coming out and saying the same thing. And we've got you know, talk of Kenny Williams going down and doing his presidential duties and, and telling everybody that, Hey, you're all on right now. You know, you need to get it together. Everyone here is to blame. So, you know, when all of these things kind of come together at once, usually we fire, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on a positive note, um, so the Baseball America Top 100 came out, uh, the reworking, the reshuffling, if you will, and the White yeah. Sox have a Top 100 player again, finally. Uh, we have, uh, Colson Montgomery is now the number 53 prospect in baseball, according to Baseball America. Um, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, that is a big deal. Yeah, to go from a guy that uh, you know just fell in the draft because he was 19 years old instead of 18 years old, uh, and was a little bit old for his draft year, uh, to you know six months later, you know eight months later, being in the uh, top 100 for prospects after nobody wanted, you know nobody in the top 18 wanted to draft him uh, that early. Uh, that is a a big deal. Um, and it's quite the jump, too. I mean, you nearly in your, nearly make it to the top half, three away from being a top half. And that's, uh, that's, that's nothing to scoff at. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, you know, uh, I retweeted a couple of uh, Colson Montgomery articles earlier today from the uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter, which if you do not follow us, go ahead and give us a follow at Daily White Sox on Twitter. Um do it now. No, don't do it now. Stay get all sorts of, well, yeah, get all sorts of uh, minor league highlights and uh, stories 
from people that uh, tag us in some pretty awesome stories, stories from some of our writers um, as well. And, um, yeah, so it's just great to see. I mean, with his advanced approach, uh, that was kind of one of those things that uh, we didn't know that that's what we were getting. I mean, we heard that he had an advanced approach, but now seeing him in person, uh, seeing him, seeing his at-bats, and not just hearing it secondhand from somebody else. Uh, very mature plate approach uh, for a guy who's 20 years old and uh, is <coughs> six months removed from high school. So, well, right. maybe a, a, a 10 months a removed year, no. from high school, whatever it is. I mean, uh, pretty pretty fantastic. Um, we're at a 45-game uh, on-base streak currently. Uh, he 40, got, I thought it was at 46, though. No, it's at 45. Uh, he 45? got a, okay. uh, a single and a walk in his last game. Um, the game before that, he walked twice. Um, he's an OBP machine, and he's got power and uh, great eye. The, uh, the thing that uh, he does need a little bit of work is the, is the glove. Uh, but, I, th- I, you know, I have little doubt that that will come in time. I mean, the kid's a great athlete. He's, you know, basketball star in high school and baseball as well. First rounder, you know, I don't think that it's going to be much of an issue. Uh, it seems like most of the stuff's on transfer anyway. Ooh, pardon me. Mm. Bless you. Bless you, bless you. Seems to be seems to be a little bit of that going. Yeah, allergies have uh, been a bit rough this year. A little bit. Um, yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't look to see where Keith Law had him on his list because I don't know if uh, I don't know if his top one hundred has been reshuffled yet. But I did hear that there were a bunch of positive comments about him from uh, Keith Law as well, um, saying pretty much what I've been saying for a while that is plate approach is fantastic and uh i don't see him moving off a shortstop i know that he's uh six four but uh as you saw with uh o'neill cruz who's six foot seven um it's okay for them to be tall you know seager's tall too you know so i i don't think it's uh you know it's been one of those things that's been uh bandied about on Twitter, you know, that just because he's tall, you know, oh, I see him moving to third base. Okay, sure. Well, guess what? I don't think it's happening. I think he's sticking at shortstop, and I think that he should stick at shortstop. There's no reason for him to uh, downgrade his stock by moving to a corner infield position just because you think that he's an inch too tall. Right. All right, you know, and that's kind of funny, too, when you're talking about uh, shortstop being the place where you probably got to cover more ground than anywhere else on the infield. Uh, you would think maybe a guy with a little bit more reach is going to have some success in that position. He does have he does have nice range, and he's quick. You know, he's got that, uh, he's got that basketball lateral, you know, lateral quickness, and uh, I don't see why they would move him. There's, there's no reason to. He hasn't shown uh, – I mean – you know, other a couple of errors. He hasn't shown any reason that he needs to be moved off of shortstop yet. 
No, unless he's, you know, blocked by Tim Anderson or Lenin Sosa, but obviously that's uh there's some time to uh figure that situation out before we get there. This kid isn't gonna jump to the majors, you know, next month. Uh you know, and again, another thing that we've talked about a bit on this show is uh White Sox not being able to develop position players throughout the years. So, you know, having a guy in one of the toughest positions on the infield or in the field in general, they can do those kinds of things and be tall and, and cover that kind of range. And like you said, maybe the glove needs a little bit of work, but it probably will come. He's only, you know, 20 years old now, 19 going on 20 years old. Uh, you know, there's time to figure that out. So like you say, there's just, there's no reason to uh, rush a move for this guy anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, another thing that was uh, announced this week, is that Oscar Colas will be the White Sox representative in the Futures game. Um, he is uh, currently hitting 312 with a slash of 369, 475 uh, for an 845 OPS. Uh, he's got seven home runs, which is, you know, I expected the power to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more than it has been, but uh, I believe that there's been a uh, couple of soft tissue injuries, and I think that there was a hand. Uh, I think he got hit in the hand as well. So I think that that's sapped some of the power, but it hasn't stopped him from uh, doubles and triples. I think he's leading the uh, – I think he's – maybe he's second in triples. He's got three triples, and he's got 13 doubles to go along with those seven home runs. Um, so – He's putting up some some really good numbers. I mean, I would not say that uh, we're looking at uh, you know another Luis Robert type of uh, you know profile here, but he's definitely solid and he plays a nice defense as well uh, out in center field, which is you know unexpected. I was expecting him to be a left fielder or right fielder, and uh, he can yeah. cover the ground in center. So it's it's nice uh, nice to have numerous options here. Yeah, I think I would like to see him play a little more spots, though, coming here. Coming up, you know, uh, obviously, the reason I say this is, you know, we've got A.J. Pollock on this on the MLB club this year. And mm-hmm. folks have kind of talked a little bit about his play in right field. And I think, what, he had like seven starts, six or seven starts in right field before he came to the White Sox. He's only had a handful of starts in right field for the White Sox this year. Some of them didn't look great because of the way the ball breaks. It breaks differently than, you know, he might be used to as a center fielder and, you know, time as a left fielder. So for me personally, I'd like to see a little bit more corner outfield play from uh, Oscar Colas coming up here. Uh, it doesn't hurt to know that he can play center field, uh, you know, being if, if once he does make it up to the big league club, you know, knowing that we have somebody that can step in for uh, Mr. Luis Robert is uh, nice. But really what we're hoping for here is that Luis Robert stays healthy, does the things that he's supposed to do, and that we can fill a corner outfield spot that we have sorely been meeting for a long time. Yeah, so that uh, brings me to uh, another thing. Um, So a former White Sox prospect, outfielder, who had a 9-9... 37 or something like that OPS 
for Cleveland uh, made a start tonight. And I didn't, you know, to be honest, I didn't even look to see what the final stat line was for him. I don't even think he, uh, I don't think anything happened for him. I could be wrong, but I didn't see that. Um, but this is the third outfielder that is a former White Sox prospect that got traded away or signed for, you know, like signed away from the White Sox for uh, essentially nothing. Um, Alex Call made a, uh, you know, got called up for the the Guardians today, and he did get a he did get a, a pinch hit, and he did not get a hit. I did not see the uh, what ended up happening in that bat, um, but uh, he gets called up, and uh, so between him and Steel Walker and uh, Luis Gonzalez, I think that's the three. But uh, yeah, the the return that we got for those guys was uh, you know uh, Yonder Alonso for Alex Call, which. I mean, essentially, we got absolutely nothing out of that. We got a player that was on his last leg. And uh, Steel Walker, um, we got Nomar Bazzara, which ended up being a funnel. Got nothing out of that. He hit one home run. Um, and then... Uh, Oh man, this is ugly. And then Luis Gonzalez just gets signed away for nothing, and he's uh, back from the IL and back up with the uh, Giants. I mean, they just let him go. Yeah, it's rough. Oh, and yeah. the uh, another awesome thing is that uh, on Sunday versus Dylan Cease, the Guardians are pitching uh, Connor Pilkington. Yeah, against the White Sox. So the guy that we traded for Cesar Hernandez, who also netted us Did nothing, nothing, <laughs> um, will be pitching against us. And uh, as it's the first time that he's pitching against the White Sox, and you know um, that I can remember, I think that's the first time he'd pitch against the White Sox in a start. I don't think he's pitched against them before. Um, you know, no doubt they'll uh, pull their normal, uh, oh, we haven't seen this guy before, or, you know, he's got like a five ERA or four and a half ERA where we're going to score one run, you know? Let's hope not. I mean, I would like to favor Dylan Cease in that in that matchup, uh, considering what uh, Dylan Cease has done. But, I mean, you know, Dylan Cease's ERA is, two, you know, like close to two and a half, and if you uh if he pitches nine innings and lets up two runs, you know, with the way the White Sox offense is, we could still lose two to one or two to nothing. So uh I guess we'll see where that uh where that whole thing goes. Um Yeah, I'm not feeling real good about uh this series that we're in right now. Uh you know, we've got the doubleheader. One of those games in which uh Bieber will pitch. And uh, you know, the White Sox make Bieber look like side Bieber just about every time they face him. You know, I don't know. Maybe we get to him. Maybe they they get lucky. They score some runs. But you know, tonight was one of those day, one of those games that you felt like you had to win. Cal Quantrill is a, is a very beatable pitcher for this White Sox lineup. You would think, and they just couldn't get it done. Um, you, know, you want to score? He hits a three run homer. 
we get one other run out of that. You know, we talked about this earlier in the show too. You know, Ed Betts didn't look terrible. Did you see his Ed Betts? I did see. Did you see I, well, I saw the at bats. Lots of solid contact, and, and obviously real solid contact for a three-run home run. Um, <clears throat> one thing I wanted to bring up, since uh, Alex Call is a 27-year-old rookie coming up uh, for the Guardians today, um, Tyler Nestloni still in Double A. I just like to bring that up. Um, the guy who's uh, second in double A in OPS with a 982 OPS leads the Southern League in doubles and uh, oh let's see where is he I think he's like fourth tied for fourth uh, in home runs oh sorry my bad he's uh, tied for 15th for home runs but uh, yeah still buried in double A and I just don't get it 15 out of like 900 players. I I just it's, don't it's, I don't get it's, it. It's decent. I don't understand. I don't I don't know what's like what the what the qualifications are for him to get out of double A. Uh but I feel that whatever the uh, qualifications are, I feel that they are that it's not being handled properly. I don't think that he should be sitting in double A anymore. I mean, at least they should have bumped him up to to AAA. Like him, him, like he's got nothing left to prove in AA. There's if you hit over three, you know, like if you hit, you know, over three hundred in AA for over a calendar year, there's no reason that you should be there again. Especially being second in OPS in in the league. There's, you know, he's got a higher OPS than Lenin Sosa had. And Lenin Sosa got promoted straight from Double A to the Major League Club. He's a left-handed bat with power. I mean, I just don't. I don't get it. Yes, I don't either. One Tyler Nesloni. Yes, sir. I don't. I don't get a lot of the uh, the moves that have been made throughout the farm system this year, or lack thereof, in some of those, you know, some situations. Uh, there's been a an organizational mishandling of uh, a few guys. You know, we've talked about forty man spots, guys just taking up space, guys that don't need to be. And we could probably do an entire show on this, to be honest with you. At this point, now we've got guys that should have been, you know, shuffled up. We've got guys that should be left unprotected. We got guys not performing on the MLB roster, and guys that are performing at levels that deserve at least a look you know it's we could do an entire show about it but you know there's a lot of head scratching going around for a team that is you know we we've been saying it for years now a team that's been sold to us as a contender and we should be in the absolute heart of our competitive window now and when i say our i mean you know ours as in Sox fans that have endured you know the uh trials and tribulations of the rebuild and have listened to uh, what seems like rhetoric now coming from, uh, you know, the talking heads. So, yeah, I, you know, it's it's a shame. I, I'm – I almost want to say that I'm ashamed. I'm getting my paper <laughs> – I'm getting my paper bag ready. I'm almost ashamed at how the entire organization is handling itself right now. Yeah. Uh, it's mentioned here in chat, Cole, I should be promoted to AA and LS2, and I – 
can't disagree with that. And you know, Nestlone. Uh, oh, you like that? Yeah, I did some. Uh, I did some remodeling in the room and uh, redid my lighting and uh, hooked up some stuff. So, it's tired of. Uh, I figured, you know, if I'm gonna sit here and work hard on this thing, I at least wanted to look look halfway decent. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, there's, you know, we've got, um, you know, I, I just like the, the thing with this, with this team is that, you know, we've talked about this numerous times. It just feels like there's, these guys are getting capped and stuck where they are and not promoted. Um, you know, Colas, you know, he gets all fired up, makes an Instagram post, and <coughs> you know me. about not being promoted up to Double A. And you know you've got Logan Glass getting bumped from Low A up to Charlotte. Meanwhile, Tyler Nesloni has been banging away in Double A, and he can't get out of Double A. The White Sox go and trade uh, McKinley Moore for Adam Hazley, and then they sign Mark Payton. And then they re-sign Mike Rodolfo, and they can't. It's like they can't let any of these guys go, despite the fact that this guy who's in Double A has put up better numbers than any of these guys have put up in their entire minor league career. Where you know Blake Rutherford's still here, you know Mike Rodolfo. He yes, he has a lot of potential. However, you know. Like there's no like there's there's no challenges left for Nestlone in Double A. There's there is none. You know if you're sitting here like hovering at a 1,000 OPS for like an entire you know like basically a calendar year, there's no reason for him to be there anymore. Is that he should yeah. be seeing more advanced pitching approaches? If you don't feel like bringing him up to the majors and you feel like watching you know Gavin Sheets out there out in the outfield and you know having a first baseman in the outfield. Okay, more power to you, but at least bump this guy up to AAA so he can see better pitching, you know, and release one of the other guys. Can you imagine what he would do in that ballpark in Charlotte? Yeah. I mean, his OBS might shoot up to 12, 1300 there. His power numbers, you know, might just skyrocket. More than likely. I mean, at the very least, if you bring him up to triple a and he becomes a banger there, you know, maybe he becomes trade bait something. He's something of value to this organization, but where he's sitting right now, he's doing all things and he's not even getting a look. Yep. Still sitting there, you know, after, after a year, you know, I mean, I just don't, yeah, exactly. You said, well, I mean, you know, at the time they signed Nesloni is that there was a uh, there was a little bit of a, a depth issue in Double A. Um, I think they had uh, Dawkins, they had uh, Destino, and then they had um, uh, Craig Didolo, and I think that was it at the time when they traded for him because I think that there was a couple of injuries at the time and that's why they traded for Nesloni and they tried they traded for Nesloni when he was hitting 163 and after he had had a bad year the year beforehand um and by bad I mean like you know 250 or something like that if I remember correctly um 
but yeah, I just like that. There's just too much weird stuff going on here in like prospect hoarding. You know, it's like if if a guy gets drafted by the White Sox, despite the fact that he can't actually hit a baseball, you know, like he stays in the system and they keep on giving him chance after chance after chance, despite the fact that we've got guys that are outperforming him and putting up better numbers, yet they can't get past these guys. You know, like we traded for Blake Rutherford and, you know, guys hitting 250 in Charlotte. And he's just taking up a spot and he's just blocking everybody that's underneath him. You know, yeah, it's it like, almost feels like uh, it almost feels like the, the Rutherford and Adolfo thing is like, you know, we can't admit that maybe we were wrong about, you know, their uh, abilities when we traded for them. I mean, you know, we talked them up so much and the, and the whole world was I wasn't. I mean, every scout that was out there was talking these guys up like they were, you know, going to be at least uh, fairly serviceable major league outfielders at some point. And, you know, they were parts of big trades during this rebuild. And now it's like, ah, well, we can't admit that, you know, we just might have been wrong about them. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, part of the problem is that Rutherford was a Yankees prospect, and you can't trust Yankees prospects for anything. They're always overhyped, every single one of them. Right, right. And, you know, and Adolfo, you know, the thing with him was was he was young. Oh, he's young. He's got time to figure it out, what he's going to develop. He's still not even really all that old as we talk about him now. But the thing is, is he's been there for a while. And yeah, he's had the 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 injury history, but when he's healthy, he's still not. And he's, I guess, he's performing a little this year. You know, he's he's not terrible, but he's not the guy that you're looking to say, "Hey, this is our you know right fielder of the future." No, he should be what Adam Hazley has been this year, the guy who you know maybe comes up for a week, makes a spot start or two in right field. And then when the team is back to 100%, he goes back to where he came from. Uh, he's really nothing more than that. You, you can't even really call him a quad A player at this point. You know, uh, He's not a guy who's going to come up and stick for a while and then go back down. He's going to be a quick you know, 10-day IL kind of guy, just a quick replacement. So I uh, no audio from Ian. Yeah, no, it's back. It's, I, had it, I had it muted because I coughed and I wanted to, uh, wanted to turn oh. it off. Um, yeah, like the whole Rutherford thing. I just, I just don't get it. Like at this point, like, you know, nice guy. And, uh, I know that he's trained with, uh, Christian Yelich and, uh, you know, supposed to be one of the best prospects that, uh, the Yankees had at the time. It's, it hasn't worked out. It's fine. It's fine that it hasn't worked out, you know, let him go and find another place. He's he's never going to he's never going to be a major league guy for for the White Sox. You know? I mean, he is going to be a triple A guy until he can prove that he can hit better and I, like what are you waiting for? Are we waiting for, you know, like okay, so say next year he starts hitting 280. Is that all of a sudden going to be good enough that they're going to bring him up to the majors? Like I I don't see that it's going to be much different than him hitting you know, 260. Like, I don't see that he's going to go like rocket up to a 1000 OPS. Like I just, I don't, it doesn't make yeah. any sense to me, you know? No. 
No, not at all. And uh, yes, to answer the question in the chat, uh, we did already discuss the locker room issues league. Uh, actually, quite extensively. Yeah. It was a big, b- better chunk of the first uh, hour. Unfortunately, at length. Yeah. So, uh, really don't want to beat that dead horse anymore. We already did. Uh, yeah, you know, we can talk about the minor league system. Like I said, this is one of those things that we could probably turn into a whole show if we really wanted to go over all the guys that need. Like, you can take every single player that probably needs to get pumped up and all the guys that either need to be left unprotected or let go. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a... Uh, it's a it's the white soxiest thing in white soxiest things this season. Uh, you know, everywhere there is something that leaves you shaking your head with this team. You I don't know, you know, you, you can talk about lineups and shake your head. You can talk about the way pitchers perform and shake your head. You can talk about the way uh batters are, you know, uh approach being so bad. In, in everything Managerial positions on a day-to-day basis, you know, leave us scratching our heads. Well, it's the same things going on in these two, and that's you know things that we can say that aren't in Tony Larusa's hands, or maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe he's saying, "Yeah, I don't want this that guy. I don't want him. Don't bring him up, Ricardo." Yeah, I, I suppose, but but I doubt it. There's something. There's just an odd feeling about the organization in general this year. Like we we went through this rebuild and it felt like things were finally turning around as a whole in the organization. You know, during that rebuild, we got news of the team kind of uh, moving into a new uh, tech era. You know, they were behind the ball a little bit on that from and now all of a sudden, you know, they're they're getting uh, codify and and they're doing all these things tech wise. And we get some new coaching uh, promotions and and things at the lower level where guys are a little more uh, advanced stats kind of guys, advanced metrics. They're looking more of that stuff. And just the whole organization seemed to be coming. Rick Hans was finally given the keys to be the band, to be the GM. And over the next five years, we thought, okay, things are moving in the right direction. And then we get to 2022, and everything just kind of feels off. All of it. All of it. Not just our manager. Not just our major. You can just look at everything from the top down and go, what is going on here? It's like we're in the freaking Twilight Zone. Yeah, well, I mean, you made all these advancements in, like, analytics that you're using and how you're going to develop guys. And then you hire Tony who is the exact opposite of that. You know, I just, that, that hire didn't make any sense. I mean, other than the fact that, you know, Jerry's trying to, uh, right a wrong that he, you know, I perceived wrong from, uh, you know, years ago, ago or whatever, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it says uh, I don't really remember scratching my head over so many things until TLR was hired. You know, I there was you know there was mismanagement by by Ricky Renneria as well. Um, you know, the Edwin and Carnacion thing was uh, a little bit of a an annoyance, and uh, you know him running uh, Jimmy guns out, you know sons out, guns out, uh, running him into the into the ground. Uh, using him every day, and uh, 
you know, he had some uh, some interesting bullpen issues and whatever. But the thing is, is that it was standard. It was standard managerial questioning stuff. You know, it wasn't why are you batting Leary first in the lineup, like completely bizarre, yeah. unexplainable, just ridiculous behavior. Like th- that stuff was not happening with Ricky. And at that point, you know, with with that particular thing i think i'd say i probably would have i much would have rather kept ricky than than get tlr just for what i've seen from this year with him you know reaching for straws trying to get things to uh to work but um yeah i mean really i'm at a loss for words honestly at this point you know and i feel like i can't say anything that has an art said a, a thousand times here yeah you know yeah i, I, don't I wish yeah. I, you know and and we could do the things that these others we can fluff somebody's we can we can hand pick one guy who's doing something on the roster and we can fluff the stats and make it all sound like butterflies and rainbows and you know everything's hunky-dory but the reality is it's not this is not a team that should be playing sub 500 baseball there, we should. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm tired of other fans telling me that I should go be a fan of another team because I'm not happy and I should just enjoy the ride. You know, yeah, enjoy the ride. I love, I love Steve Stone as as a broadcaster. Great guy, really smart baseball guy. Uh, you know, but he's been towing his company line on on the old tweet machine all season long, and he wants to tell people, you know. Stop being so negative. Oh, I'll bet you're just unhappy in in your regular because you're super unhappy on Twitter. And and I don't know. As a fan, I feel like I pretty much have the right to be unhappy with this crap we've been, you know, they've they've shoveled in front of us, honestly, because these guys look like a a steaming pile. Yeah. They're they're not having any fun. They're not having any fun. There's no emotion in the, in the, the dugout. You know, uh, after the game the other night when Jose Abreu had a chance to, you know, maybe tie or win the game and he swung it O2 pitch that was about two and a half feet above the strike zone that and then he went and he sat in a dugout by himself after the game and the picture of him just sitting there with this befuddled look on his face and you think you see now we know he's he's always the guy like hero likes to try to pull off the uh the heroics at the end of the game but the look on his face said it all that's what the that's what the whole team looks like on the bench on any given day. There's no smiles. There's no fun. These guys just look like they're going out there and going through the motions, and it's 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 garbage. Yeah, I mean, it's not fun to watch. I don't blame them for not being happy because they've looked terrible and they're not playing well. So I mean, I get it, but instead of sitting there and being miserable, why don't you do something about it? You know, and I'm not saying you know like it. I mean, is it a thing where they're just, you know, they're pushing for everything? Like, is is that what this whole thing is? Is that they've been constantly pushing to be the best team in the history of baseball and they just keep falling flat on their face because they're trying too hard? Like, I mean, I guess that could be part of it, but, I mean, I don't see how that gets them, you know, picked off a of first base or swinging it, you know, terrible pitches over and over and over again. I mean, there's got to be some sort of discipline here. And there's, I mean, there is no discipline, you know, shown, you know, there's no discipline and there's no, you know, nobody's 
having any sort of consequences whatsoever for for bad play. So, um, well, apparently, Kenny Williams has put his foot down. There was the Kelly Kenny Williams uh, the meeting where everybody is uh, everybody is to blame, and uh, sh- you better shape up. I don't know what that means because. I don't see them getting yeah. any. I think, I, honestly, I mean, could you imagine them becoming sellers at the deadline? And if they were to become sellers, who's on the way out? Well, I really, I would like to think that this team, for the most part, the core of this team as it stands, could probably win a lot of ball games like they were touted to do if they had the right leadership in the locker room. So my only hope is that Tony La Russa sees the writing on the walks away himself, which I doubt will happen. Although he was quoted last year as saying, you know, if I didn't want to be there, I would players. Well, you know, maybe you should take some of your own advice because uh, you're not, it doesn't look like you're having, and if you're not getting the job done, you know, and that's what he said. It was, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but there was a, a interview last year where he said, you know, if if I wasn't getting the job done, I wouldn't want to be here either. Well, guess what, buddy? <laughs> well, you're not guess getting what, the job pal? done. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, as far as them being sellers, could I see it happening? Maybe for a light retool, but I would not. I would rather not see them blow up this core just yet. I, I would like to see what this team could do under the right tutelage. Yeah, no, I have to agree with that. I mean, I, I would think that they would wait to blow this up until they could see it with somebody else first. Um, I would think also that, uh, you know, uh, Bob Nightingale did hint at the fact that if they don't make the playoffs this year, that Jerry might move Tony to another role in the organization, which is fantastic. Perfect. That's just what we need. Keep him around because we need to keep that kind of nonsense around here because he's your buddy. Um, but uh, I don't know who's going to be available as far as managerial candidates, if that was the case, that they were going to hire somebody else. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like the, the play of this team's just completely thrown this whole thing on its head. And we weren't supposed to be talking about this, you know? <laughs> yes, we heard about the locker room issues, Mr. John Rudels. That's uh, that's actually what we were talking about, sir. Uh yes, Bummer is uh Bummer is apparently dead. Bummer's dead. Yeah. Jake Burger's dead. Yeah. Well, Jake Berger did get hit in the hand. So, like, that one I understand. But also, he hadn't started in 10 days before, you know, before he was put on the 10-day IL. So, who knows what the heck's going on. Um, yeah, Bummer's been gone forever. I don't really know what that's what that's all about. But, I mean, people were saying the same thing about Hendricks until Hendricks finally just came out and said, yeah, I'm going to be back by July. And then he was. So I don't, you know, I guess we'll find out. Uh, yeah, Bruce Bochy would be certainly a uh, shot certainly in the arm, a, a better possibility of a manager than a lot of things. I wouldn't think that they would go the Girardi or Joe Madden, you know, Joe Madden, Joe Madden, right? Uh, 
you know, I don't think that that would be who they would go for. Um, I mean, we saw how the uh, the Madden experience was in uh, in Anaheim didn't work out so well, and uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that it necessarily ended badly in Chicago, other than that the team just didn't didn't play well at all. And I mean, could some of that be his fault? Yeah, I suppose, but uh, you know, whatever. But he just had Trout and Otani. And uh, they went on what, like a how many game losing streak was that? Like fourteen or fifteen games before he finally got canned. That yep. would never happen here. If the White Sox go on a fifteen game losing streak, <laughs> no shot TLR gets fired. No shot. No. It took an all, all uh, Nickelback walk up song night to uh, break their winless streak. Oof. I mean, that's drastic measures right there, man. Drastic. Yeah, drastic that's, measures. that's tough stuff right there. Bummer's listed as a lad injury. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, but I don't know, like, uh, like I don't understand why he's not back yet. You know, that's like the thing that I don't understand. I don't know what, uh, you know, is there complications, whatever. Like, I don't think that they've said anything in the media about it. Like, what... Uh, what the deal is with that. So yeah, I got no idea. Anywho, uh, 1040. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Orioles have won eight straight, just swept the angels. And then, uh, somebody else, I can't remember who the other team was that they Rangers, maybe, maybe all on a payroll. Yeah. And it's less than the highest paid pitcher in baseball. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, is that the the White Sox, you know, if they do manage to not make the playoffs with this salary, I mean, that's... Uh, didn't see that one coming. You know, I didn't... I did not expect them to not make the playoffs, but I didn't expect them to win anything in the playoffs. So... Um, no, but you know, you look at the salary. We've talked about this way the money was spent, not that the money was actually spent. You know what I mean? There is no single contract for a superstar on this team. You know, you and I have talked about this. You brought it up more than I have in the past about how they'll go out and spend on four or five different guys instead of spending on one or two guys that could be huge contributors. Yeah, but I mean, I digress. You know, I said I said that the the most important things for the Twins and uh, the reason for their turnaround is that a Byron Buxton is finally healthy and he's hit twenty something home runs. So there's of course that, but uh, also the uh, the Carlos Correa signing. You know, they paid thirty something million dollars for Carlos Correa to, Correa to show up, and the thing is, is that he is that veteran presence that they say that's lacking in the in the White Sox locker room and he's, you know, at a very important position and he is a guy that keeps people accountable and demands excellence out of the other guys on the team. And the White Sox do not have that. They don't, you know, if Jose Abreu, the guy who you've seen make, you know, that, uh, you know, standing and getting run down by the catcher, at first base 
the other night. Um, you know, a guy who just, you know, two years ago finally started playing serviceable first base. If that's the guy that's supposed to be the one who's going to be reining in the uh, the defense on this team, that's not happening. Not going to be reining <laughs> in the base running mistakes. And he's also not really very much of a vocal leader in the first place. You know, it's been mentioned, you know, in numerous places. So, you know, I, like they just don't have that guy. They've got a couple of glue guys, you know, like Josh Harrison. He's a, you know, he's a, a great glue guy. However, the problem is they don't have the guys, you know, like the couple of guys that are supposed to be on the team to really rein in the stupidity and keep everybody focused and keep everybody moving in the same direction. They do not have those guys, and they don't have those guys because they won't pay those guys. Yeah, right. Grandall, you know, Grandall, you know, he stood up for a TA in that uh, – in the basis clearing thing, or you know the 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 Josh Donaldson thing, and uh, that's one thing. But you know, I don't know how he is in the in the locker room. You know, I I don't know. You know what he's what he's saying to anybody. I don't I don't know what is uh you know like how he leads other than you know the fact that he was cool with getting in Josh Donaldson's face, and he's and as you mentioned. It's also not, you know, super great out in the uh, out defensively. And I think some of that had to some had something to do with his knee and his back and his and his hamstring issues that he had going on. And I think that it also uh, has a lot to do with the fact that you know framers generally will have a baseball go off the top of their glove while they're trying to frame a pitch. That's just what that's just what happens. Yes, Josh Donaldson is also an idiote. idiot. I agree. Idiot. Yes, he's an idiot. Uh, have you? I wanted to ask you. Have you seen, now? Even you know, Ken Rosenthal is is regarded as one of the better baseball insiders. Yep. And uh, earlier today, and I quote, talking about the Chicago White Sox and what you know. Basically, it was, is this now or never for the Sox? And he believes they're coming to that point. And in this interview, he said, if they want their front office to buy at the deadline, they've got to give that front office a reason to do it. Now, this is coming from your, this is coming from one of the the head athletic guys, you know, one of the head writers at the athletic, a guy who's been on years and years and years uh, and is regarded as, you know, one of the top, if not the top, you know, MLB insider. Uh, you know, when you've got, this isn't just a Chicago thing. This isn't just a Bob Nightingale thing. When you've got all of the national baseball media talking about your team that way, you got to wonder who at the top is paying attention to this stuff or completely ignoring it. And why is it now we're just hearing that Kenny Williams had a, a meeting about accountability? You know, you and I and everybody else, and we've been talking, you know, no accountability for the longest time. Why are we just hearing these things? Yeah, I mean, how was how was this not a thing like a month and a half ago when they were, you know, staying even and not 
not gaining any ground whatsoever and losing, you know, losing games in the division and dropping down the standings then? Why is why is it taking till now? Right. We're four games beyond the midway point of the season at this point. Going into into five games here. We just finished the fourth game past the midway point of the season. Yeah, it was it, mentioned you know, on it, the not- uh, on the Twitter that no team, no White Sox team that was under 500 at the midway point has ever made the playoffs. So uh, if they do this year, it'll be the first time it's ever happened. So that's awesome. <coughs> well, that's what they're going for. TLR's playing chess. We're all- Something like that. I'm playing tackle checkers. I don't know about you. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah, they're going to at some point if you know, like like Bob like Bob Nightingale said that if they don't make the playoffs this year that uh, Jerry's going to have to move TLR to a different a different spot in the organization. And it, it can't be can't be the manager because he's he's got to go. If if he's not motivating the guys and not getting them to uh police themselves and you know if it's supposed to be a player's locker room which is what uh tlr said is that you know that you know i have an office they have the locker room you know there's a reason why he's got a locker and i've got an office well if that's the case you know you've got the office you should be making sure that the people that have lockers are doing what they're supposed to be doing and you're not so you know and I see in the chat here, it says, well, you know, this division makes it possible. Well, I guess it does make it possible. It makes it possible for them to go on and, and win and make the playoffs. But the thing is, is we're right in the midst of that 19, you know, NL Central rivalry battle here at the midseason point, And they can't even beat the teams in their division. So how possible is it really? I mean, yeah. you know... I don't know. At this point, it just doesn't feel possible. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be their division. Now that it's not, now we're coming up to you know, eight games against four against the Guardians and then four against the Twins, and then people are saying that if it doesn't happen within these eight games, that you know, essentially that the season's over. Which, you know, seeing the rest of the division, it's entirely possible that that's not true. You know, it could be that the White Sox continue to play 500 ball, you know, for the next month and a half. And so do the Twins and Guardians. And the White Sox are still three games behind in September or four games behind in September. And they're like, yeah, we can still make a run. Besides the fact that we've been watching it for an entire year that they're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And they're not any improved from the second half of last year when we said it was a problem last year. Now it's even worse, you know. So, yeah, no, uh, picking up what you're laying down there. Yeah, bud. it's just it's been it's been a terrible year so far. Um, not a whole lot to enjoy, and uh, I have a really bad feeling that Casey is going to kick our ass just like they did in the second half last year. Well, I don't think. Last year, you know, last year we didn't win a game against them in the second half of the season, and then last uh, in the first half, I don't think we did all that. I think we went 500 against them in the first half last year. So, whatever. Um, all right. Well, 
we've got uh, a couple more games here in uh, in uh, Old Cleveland. We got a uh, doubleheader, and um. And then we're off to uh, Minnesota for four games over there. And we'll see what happens because uh, we got the uh, the All-Star break coming up here pretty soon. And, uh, yeah, if this stuff isn't uh, if this stuff isn't sorted, yes, yes, we are way too negative. It is still too early. It's true. Um, yeah, there's plenty of time to build upon what we've been doing here. And uh, everything will be fine. You'll see. You guys are overreacting. Um, anywho, uh, Bieber versus Martin. Justin Bieber versus Dean Martin. Hmm. I don't know. Both of them have some solid songs. Um, I actually uh, don't mind that matchup. Oh, what's it's Martin? Oh, I lost your. I lost your uh, your camera. Oh, still get on? Yeah, you're solid, solid, solid face, not moving. Um, Tatoy is my thing. Yeah, it's true. Justin can't sing anymore. He had a something kind of like, sort of like a stroke. I'm not entirely sure what it was, but he's like half of his face was paralyzed just recently. So that's a bummer. Um, yes, I'll also take Dean Martin. Why not? Um. You know, I don't. I uh, I don't. Miss, I'm not mad about uh, Beeper versus Martin. Like that doesn't bother me at all. Actually, to be honest with you, um, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think it matters. Um, why not match Cease up against Bieber? Well, because I would rather give myself a better chance to definitely win one game than to come up to a draw being cease against Bieber because if it's cease against Bieber, it could be a one nothing game and cease could allow one run and lose because Bieber pitches better Pilkington. You have a better chance of, you know, cease pitching and only allowing one or two runs and the white Sox scoring five runs. So I think that that's the, uh, the rationale behind that decision. And I'm not necessarily, you know, I don't think it's a bad a bad strategy there, at least in that double header. Um, because Bieber is going to be good no matter what. And, uh, Davis Martin has the possibility of pitching really well. Um, could also get, you know, murdered, you know, who knows, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Pilkington is going to shut the socks down. Well, I was not happy when they traded him in the first place. So, uh, it wouldn't surprise me any, um, yeah, uh, the whole thing's just, uh, whole thing's, a uh, whole season's just pretty much been a bummer. And I don't know, uh, I don't know that it's really going to get that much, uh, that much better. I kind of, you know, I keep on letting them reel me in, uh, after getting a couple of wins and then they go out and they pull stuff like tonight where they give up five runs in the first inning and, you know, pretty much just, uh, destroy their chances of winning the game right out right out of the gate and uh there you are i see you hey um yeah yeah, it's just uh it's rough you know let's hope that uh let's hope that they can sort it out you know uh kenny williams gave him the uh the motivational talk so uh 
We'll see if it uh, <laughs> if anything changes. I I honestly don't. Uh, yes, Danny did join Bummer for a minute. Dead to the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope that uh, that these guys manage to right the ship. But I just I I will be shocked and stunned. And uh, let's hope that that's uh, the way things are. Uh, White Sox Daily Live at Daily White Sox on the old Twitter machine. Uh, WhiteSoxDaily.substack.com is where you can find our info uh, and articles and uh, our podcasts and such. So you can find this in podcast form starting tomorrow morning. Uh, it will show up in all of your uh, favorite preferred pod dog, uh, pod dog, uh, podcast, uh, you know, places that you get it and uh i see i'm looking down here at ant dog 70 and i said pod dog it's pretty good um what does kw even do he gives motivational speeches um thankfully he does it with pants on unlike anthony rizzo um yeah so uh yeah thanks for uh coming and hanging out today and uh listening to us uh talk about the White Sox and uh, talk about the uh, the minor league system and the lack of uh, motivation in the major league system, um, which has just been a real joy to uh, – I mean, Danny, when we started this, this again this year and we had a new season – I mean, had I told you that this was what we were going to be t- what we were going to be talking about for like the first three months of the season? Yeah. No, I, yeah, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we actually did talk about this a little bit right before the season started about how this was going to be a lot of fun to do with the uh, the team that uh, was uh, supposed to be out there on the field this year. You know, and we talked about, you know, some of the misses in the offseason, but we were still pretty optimistic that this team was going to be a lot better than it has been up to this point. We thought we were going to have a lot more fun, and instead uh, it's been a bit of a bitch fest. Yeah, a little bit. Let's let's hope something changes, you know, but I don't know if it's going to or not, you know, but we'll see. So, hey, look at that. Now it's red. Uh, Just wanted to check it and see what it looked like. I need more more light in here for it to get red, red. Um, has this been most disappointing season you have been through as a Sox fan? Um, I think 2016 I had some hope, and uh, it started off so well, and for it to crater so badly – uh, after they started off so well, that was that was a bummer. Um, two thousand one was pretty rough. Uh, two thousand six was was uh, awful. Um, not making the playoffs after winning the World Series that was tough. Um, you know, I mean, really, when you think about it, if we're talking about being a, a Sox fan, I mean, we're really just ranking the years of disappointment. And uh, celebrating the one year that we've had something to uh, really celebrate, um, because I, th- I yeah, you know, like I kind of feel like even though we've made the playoffs two years in a row, um, I still feel like they left something on the table and they dropped the ball 
in those playoff losses. Now, in last year, the Astros were definitely better than the White Sox, I feel. Uh, but the fact that they coasted into the playoffs and uh, ended up getting matched up with the Astros in the first place—that was their fault. That shouldn't have been. That shouldn't have been a thing. Had they actually played well the entire year, it wouldn't have been an issue in the first place. Um, but the A's series had uh, home field advantage and, and a better seating. Yeah, just a couple more games. All right. Well, you're breaking up there, Danny. So it seems like a good as time as any to uh, to drop out here. Um, like I said, thanks for coming and hanging out. This has been White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. That is my co-host, the Danny Miller. And as mentioned before, you can find us at Daily White Sox on Twitter and WhiteSoxDaily.substack.com on the internet for uh, articles and podcasts. And you can find this in podcast form tomorrow. Uh, you can also find our YouTube channel through our uh, Twitter profile. And uh, we'll be here next Monday at 9 p.m. like every week, except for last week because of July 4th. But uh, we did make an appearance on Thursday. Um, yeah, thanks for coming and hanging out and chatting. And uh, we will see you guys next week. You guys have a great night. Thanks. Bye.